All right. I'm trying a new, they asked me to record this, so I've got some new technology here that I don't exactly know how to use. So yeah, if you, if you can get the article, that'd be great, and maybe share it. If not, we'll read. OK. That'd be good. Yeah, if not, I'll, I'll read quite a bit of it, so you should be OK just listening along. Wow, so thanks for being here. This is great. I did not expect this many people for Think Again, Inspecting Introspection. Be honest, was it just the subtitle? Yeah. That has you here? Yeah. Because Jacob gave me a shout out. He's like, oh, wow, that sounds interesting. So I was like, OK, maybe, maybe people will show up. So yeah, no, I'm excited about this. Um, this was a class that the pastors asked me to do. And I was like, OK, I'll give it a try. And um, I read a book, which I'll give out two copies at the end, called Think Again by Jared Mellinger. And uh, I'd never read a book on introspection. And so the title caught my attention. And I read it. And I was like, hey, it was good. And they were like, you should do a class on it. I was like, OK. And so that's why we're here. So yeah, if you remember from the announcement, um, yeah, think again, inspecting introspection. We're going to be talking about um, kind of the, this notion of spiritual depression, thinking through um, you know, our emotions, our own feelings, um, how do we counsel ourselves through that, uh, guilt uh, with sin. It's going to cover a broad topic of things. Um, and so this morning, I really just want to kind of, this is kind of like introduction week. I'm going to tease out a bunch of different things we're going to talk about. And so if you're like, that didn't satisfy me, it's like, okay, well, we'll try and come back and hit it. Um, so I'm going to try and kind of lay that foundation, like I said, and here's where we're going to go in the next eight weeks. And so we're going to start kind of with that theological foundation and then move really the last three or four weeks. I want to be really practical. Like, so what? Real practical. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Um, and so that's, that should be towards the end of the class. I want to say this. I don't know if maybe, I don't think I'm very intimidating, but ask questions. I like an interactive class. That was one thing I missed about like the Old Testament class. I wish it was more interactive. So I don't want to be talking about something and you guys are like, uh, that's not really my problem. Or it's like, we don't, like, we know this, okay? Like, so if, if there's something where you're like, hey, so what about this? You can ask it in class. If it's more private, just come talk to me afterwards, something like that. I really, if you have questions, hey, I'm struggling with this. How do I deal with that? I want to address those things. Does that make sense? So, so come talk to me. I, I'm more than happy to do that um, and, and go from there. So um, before we begin, I'll kind of get in some definitions of introspection. How would you guys define introspection? Or maybe, like, why are you here in this class? Like, what, what do you think? Like, what caught your attention? Is it you want to help other people who are maybe introspective? Let's start with that. How would you define it? How would you define introspection? What do you think? Overthinking. Okay. Looking within. Looking within. Okay. Okay, so kind of like self-examination, maybe? More than that, not just self-examination, but a forward, forward-thinking, forward-looking procedure to decide not just where you are, where you think you're going, but maybe where you should be Okay, I see. Yeah, good, good. I was thinking maybe like not being so positive, being more introspective, not being, you know, like we talk a lot, like we just need to be more focused and Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah? That could be, yeah? Maybe that's what people, I, I'm asking your truth. What is your truth? Yes. That, that could be. Yeah, the, the voices within. Yeah? 
I'll try not to embarrass my wife too much in this class. <laughs> Analyze it, okay. Yeah. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Thinking about what you're thinking, yeah. Critical thinking that can be like really beneficial mm -hmm. as you like work change in a good way, but then also can be really damaging if you think about things that you need to change that aren't really important or you're just so focused on yourself you're not thinking about others. Right, right. So kind of that you think about yourself so much that it actually isn't beneficial. Maybe introspection where you're so looking at yourself so much it leads to spiritual depression, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, living life in your mind. Mm. That's a good way to put it. I pulled up some definitions off the internet, so you know they're good. Um, the Oxford Dictionary. I thought this was good. The examination or observation of one's own mental and emotional processes. So, again, looking at your own processes, examining it, observing it. Wikipedia, um, what does Michael Scott say in the office? You know, Wikipedia is great because anyone in the world can write anything they want, so you know you're getting the best possible information, so you know this is good. <laughs> Wikipedia, this actually is, I thought it was pretty good. Introspection is the examination of one's own conscious thoughts and feelings. And then they kind of split it up here. In psychology, it refers to the process of introspection relies on the observation of one's mental state, while in a spiritual context, it may refer to the examination of one's soul. So we'll kind of get more in that. How does this relate to our theological anthropology? How we understand how we're built, uh, you know, body and soul, you know, and our, our thinking, our understanding, our affections, our will will impact more of that. This one's just real simple, and you guys have already mentioned this. Mellinger in his book, Introspection is the Act of Looking Inward. Introspection is the Act of Looking Inward. And I'm going to unpack that a little more. Um, because I think when we weigh it with scripture, I think we can do a little bit better. Introspection is the act of looking inward. When we introspect, we are observing ourselves and reflecting on our thoughts, emotions, actions, and identity. And so here, uh, as always, this is where we want to start. Defining our terms is essential. Sometimes we launch into these debates, especially on Facebook, and we're just completely talking past each other because we're not even talking about the same thing. And so defining our terms, that's where we want to start. Because we could say, hey, should we even do this? Uh, depending on how we define introspection, we could just go, well, the Bible says we shouldn't do this, and so stop it, and then the class is done. It's just a like 15-minute class. Um, I don't think that's the case, and so we want to uh, understand how the Bible defines this. I would say the Bible actually indicates there is a healthy and right self-examination, a healthy and right looking inward in how we judge ourselves, and that is something we do need to implement. And so I've got some scripture verses here. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.28, in the context of the Lord's Supper, right? What does it say? Let a person examine himself. So, I mean, clearly, okay, we do need to examine ourselves to some extent. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. So before you take the Lord's Supper, there's some type of self-examination. This is another real clear one. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. So he doubles down twice. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And so he's saying, I mean, understand this, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? He's talking to believers. Hey, because Christ is in you, you need to examine yourself. And then he kind of adds at the end, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. In other words, maybe you'll examine yourself and realize, wait, I'm actually not a Christian, right? But I do think that's helpful to realize that he is saying to Christians, to believers, 
that there is some type of self-examination that we need to do. Does that make sense? You see that in that verse? Another one here in just a couple. Galatians 6. This is kind of in the context of sin, temptation, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens. He says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We don't want to deceive ourselves, but let each one test his own work. So you see that. There's some type of self-examination, some self-testing that the Bible is saying we need to do. That's kind of the, the core of what we're talking about in this class. To what extent, biblically, should we look inward? How do we do that? Because typically the problem is maybe we do that too much, and that actually leads where the Bible doesn't want us to go. Okay? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. I think of when I hear someone saying, hey, this person's introspective or I'm introspective, typically it's, it's kind of this conversation in your head. Oh, I, can't, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I just did what I just did. Oh, my goodness. How did I do that? Wait, Christians don't do that. I, wait, am I not a Christian? You guys see what I'm saying? That, that's typically what I think of. And it's just this rabbit trail, or actually kind of what Alice Wonderland, down the rabbit hole, where you just, down you go, and you're in some crazy movie that I don't know why anyone likes. You know, it's just so nuts, right? You just follow your own thoughts. You're left alone with your feelings and your thoughts, and it's just chaos. And that, I clearly don't think, is what the Bible is telling us to do. You go down that rabbit hole. Your joy is gone. Your assurance of salvation is gone. You're just struggling. You don't want to do anything. You don't even want to get out of bed or whatever you're doing, and you're just done. I think that's typically what we mean when we think of someone being introspective. And I think that does lead to spiritual depression. Like I already mentioned, I think that is a problem with our spiritual state where we're like, man, I don't even know if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within me anymore. Like, like what's happened? Is, is it gone? Am I, am I a Christian? And so that's what we want to unpack in this class. What's the wrong way to examine ourselves and what is the right way to examine, examine ourselves? And here I want to, um, oh, actually, that's the next slide, sorry. What's the wrong way to examine ourselves and what's the right way to examine ourselves? That's what we're going to be talking about. I want to um, give you a definition here or just a paragraph from Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you guys don't know uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was kind of the John MacArthur of England in the 20th century, anyways. And he was, he was actually a medical doctor, a very, very prominent one. He had this very, you know, up-and-coming career. He was going to be this, like he was the next man up in the doctor world, I guess, right? Um, and what happened was, he was a believer, and he, he said, he's like, man, I was tired of healing people physically only for them to go back to suffering spiritually. And so he left his career behind and... He's an amazing, amazing preacher. It also could just be that he's Welsh, and so like, his accent is really strong. So when you listen to it, you're like, man, this is so good. Um, but no, he's actually really good, and he's, he's very thoroughly biblical. His best-selling book is a book called Spiritual Depression. It's Causes and Cure, and it's really, really good. As you can imagine, I've, this is, I, I'm leaning on this book heavily in this class. And here's, here's a nuance that I found really helpful. He says, what's the difference between examining oneself and becoming introspective. I suggest that we cross the line from self-examination to introspection when, in a sense, we do nothing but examine ourselves, and when such self-examination becomes the main and chief end in our life. We are meant to examine ourselves periodically, but if we are always doing it, always, as it were, putting our soul on a plate and dissecting it, that is introspection, right? You see, like, his doctor come out in there. He's like, if you're taking out your soul and cutting it up, right? It's like, ooh. 
That's introspection. And so what he's saying is that introspection is essentially self-examination on steroids. Okay? That's how he is defining it. And I thought that was pretty helpful for me. What I want to suggest is that, biblically speaking, we should examine ourselves, but we should not jump into introspection. You see the difference there? I think especially if we take Lloyd-Jones's um, definition or how he's unpacking it, the Bible does call us to examine ourselves, and so we want to do that. But in the sense of that's all we do, where we can't do anything else, and it gets us down, that's what I would argue is introspection. And so we want to get away from that. Yeah? Pride. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is chapter one, and it's like twenty chapters. Yeah. With introspection, I would say no. I think with self-examination, especially if we're leaning on those biblical passages, there. She's asking, is interest, should introspection lead to, like, repentance? And I would say, yes, it should. Rarely does it. Typically, when we define introspection as dissecting your soul, the problem is that you're examining yourself so much that it leads to nothing, and it leads to despair, and it leads to drought, yeah, sorrow, depression. Yeah? So are you saying introspection would be the unhealthier, sinful version of self-examination? That's what I would say, so yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's where you need to define your terms, because you could simply say, as you know, Mellinger does in this book, that, yeah, there is biblical introspection. Now, if you're just saying that's self-examination, oh, that's good. We should do that. I think it's helpful if we just take biblical language, right? So if you just go back to, um, trying to go back to the verses here. I'm trying. How all these verses have what? Examine himself, examine, test, test his own work. I'm saying let's just ditch, in, in my opinion, let's just ditch introspection and let's just use biblical language. Does that make sense? Yeah. Examine yourself. Test yourself. That, that's how I would put it, um, just so that way you're not conflating terms or anything like that. That's good. I have one more question, sorry. Okay. The introspection, is that kind of like a new agey thing or that's been around? I mean, so Spurgeon writes about it and Lloyd-Jones writes about it, so it's at least... 19th, 20th century. Um, I will say, which we're going to get to this article, Lord willing, um, we're already, I was like, man, I don't know how long this class is going to take, but it's going to take longer, but that's okay. Um, uh, I think a lot of this is because of the psychologizing of the self um, that's gone on. So if you guys read Truman's new book, um, Strange New World, or what's the longer one? The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He talks about this stuff a lot. And so I think that's a large part of it is the psychologizing of the self and what I think or what I, me, myself, and I, in other words, that conversation you're having with yourself, that's what matters most. And so I, th- I do think it is a more recent phenomenon, if that makes sense, to answer your question. But we'll try to get into that a little more. Another way that I've thought about it that might be helpful, I think self-exam, this is just in my own life, this is my truth, um, <laughs> Self-examination asks questions. I think introspection makes statements, okay? So self-examination, I think, 
goes, hey, why did I do that? What's the root cause of this sin in my life? How do I get to the bottom of this? I think that's more self-examination. I think introspection goes, man, I'm pathetic and worthless because of this. Does that make sense, the difference between the two? I think one of those is far more helpful than the other one. Yeah? Well, you say the word examination. Think of exam. An yep. exam is you're being asked questions. Questions, yep. And so the questions are leading to a result where yep. introspection is kind of, it might not be leading to anything. Right. Kind of just, it kind of just kind of reinforces mm-hmm. itself. Right, and there's no, where do you go from here? It's just, yeah, leaving your, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, another one here, this is from, from Mellinger. I think this is good, and I think you have this on your notes there. The antidote to excessive introspection is not to completely forget myself, but to look more to the Lord Jesus Christ, which leads to thinking rightly and less often about myself. And so that's kind of this key um, quote, I guess you could say, that we're going to be unpacking. I want to shift. And ask the question, we'll try and be quicker here because we're running out of time. Um, why, do we, why do we introspect? Why do we, or we could even just say, why do we look inward? Why do we question ourselves? What, why do we even do that? Insecurity? Anything else? Why do we look inward? Right? Right. There's a biblical response to, hey, I need to. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the reality is that similar to what you're saying, where God's law is written on this part of our heart, so it's really easy for us to see that wasn't right. Right. That didn't go the way that was like good, but it takes more discernment and knowledge of the scriptures and stuff to understand why that wasn't good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Are you asking about introspection or self-examination in this question? Both. Just big picture. Why do we look inward? Introspection. People like to make statements and identify themselves because it, in their heads, yeah. lets them off the hook for what they need to do or want to do. Right. That's and my I'm identity. So I don't need to teach other people how to yeah. live like Christ. It gives me yep. a way out, even though it's not biblical and correct. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's what I was going to add a couple here. Um, part of it is personality, right? If you're more extroverted or introverted. Um, depending on your personality type, you might be more inward-looking, right? Um, the second, um, which I would say, there's just a couple, all you guys said, that's good, um, kind of what Haley mentioned. I think we're naturally self-centered people. Actually, a better way to put that is not naturally. Sin naturally, right? Like, sin is anything but natural, right? It's actually contrary to the way God created things. But because of our sin nature that we have, we look inward. We idolize self, right? All sin at its core is some aspect of pride, me, rather than God. And so I think that would be a second one. Second Timothy 3 puts it, right? We are lovers of self rather than lovers of God and how he defines sin. And so that's why you hear, you know, these questions like, how does that make you feel, right? Or you hear, what do you guys think about that? Or, especially today, that causes psychological harm right? You have a ton of that language. Well, that causes me harm. That, that language is harmful. That hurts my identity or something like that. You're triggering me. Yes. Yes. We don't want to. Haley, I will try not to trigger you in this class, right? Right. So if we're, if we're not lovers of God, we're lovers of self, and that is idolatry. I think we have to start here that apart from Christ, 
And apart from the grace of the gospel, we worship self. And even through the gospel, even if we are in Christ, even if we are Christians, we still struggle with the old man, right? The old self, the sinful flesh that still is fighting in this life, that we have that um, sin nature that we're trying to, to root out. And I think this is kind of how this works itself out, both for um, non-believers and for believers. Uh, we set up standards for this idolized self, and Mellinger kind of teases this out, and I thought it was helpful. You know, we, we say, hey, I want to do or I want to accomplish X, Y, or Z. Okay, I want to do this, you know, I don't know, get on Forbes millionaire thing or whatever. Even as a Christian, hey, I want to root out this sin. I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. And the problem is, is that if we surpass that standard, if we accomplish it, we think what? Hey, I'm awesome. This is great. I did this thing. Like, uh, this is what I wanted to do. And so we're puffed up, right? We have pride. Hey, I'm, you know, exactly the way I want to look when I look in the mirror. And that's great. I'm amazing. Or, on the contrary to those standards, if we fall short, we think we're pathetic. I'm worthless. Uh, you know? And so there's this some spectrum of I'm either awesome or I'm pathetic. Okay? That, that's the spectrum that I would say, apart from Christ, you're somewhere on that spectrum, according to your own self-understanding. Right? You have these standards. If you meet it, you're great. If not, you're horrible. And so that's the problem, that apart from Christ, we're somewhere on that spectrum. But if we're Christians, as believers, we actually can think of ourselves rightly as the Bible calls us to. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I also don't think it's going beyond what Paul's trying to say here. It's not think of himself more lowly than he ought to think, right? It's a both, both and that we ought to think of ourselves with sober judgment, and that as Christians, we can think of ourselves with sober judgment, not more or less. Yeah? If we don't necessarily trust ourselves to think well, though, like especially in a place of introspection, mm. how do we know if we're thinking rightly about ourselves? Well, yeah, I mean, it all goes back to filling our minds with Scripture. Because in and of ourselves, we're not going to come up with the right answers. Right? You're just not. And so that's one of the problems with introspection is that if you're filling your mind just with your thoughts, you're not filling your minds with ultimately what's true. You're not filling your mind with God's word. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. We don't want to go above the truth. We don't want to go below the truth. We need to examine ourselves in truth and integrity. One author wrote, I thought this was helpful. He says there's holy and unholy ways of thinking highly of yourself, and there are holy and unholy ways of thinking lowly of yourself, right? So there, there's, there can be a problem on either side of that spectrum, right? It's the same in all aspects of life. If we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, that's pride. And the answer is not to then think we're worthless and pathetic. That's false humility, which is another aspect of pride. It's just the reverse, right? And so we need to think truthful thoughts. The answer to, I think I'm unattractive and ugly is not, I'm actually the most attractive person on the planet, right? It's not, you're not, we're not going to both extremes here, right? Or, you know, people think I'm boring, therefore what I actually need to think of myself is I'm actually the most interesting person on the planet, right? We don't do either one. We're supposed to think what's true. Here's the key, I would just say this, in all these examples, self is still at the center, 
I, I, I. What do I think? What do I believe? What's true for me? Yeah. 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 I think it's, um, well, I don't think, I know it, Calvin's Institute, sometimes people think it's like just rich theology and it really is, but he starts, um, it's actually a really practical theology of like how to live the Christian life. And he starts with the most important things is what knowledge of God, knowledge of self. If you understand those two things, everything else is actually going to make sense. So yeah, to your point. Yeah. If you're thinking soberly of self, that means you're thinking soberly of God because you're thinking what is true and corresponds to reality as you're building God's word. So I think a big part of this, which we're going to talk about in upcoming weeks, like I said, I like this. Hey, people are talking, man. This is great. We're teasing these things out. We're going we're gonna to talk about these things a lot more. Uh, I think a big part of this is we need to understand as Christians, we're simultaneously saints and sinners, right? Both are true. Um, and so we'll talk more about that. We're sinful, yet we're righteous in Christ. We are lost, yet we're found in Christ. We continually need to go back to being in him. And at this point, this is where I want to get into the article. Someone might say, and that's why you need to find your identity in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And again, going back to defining your terms is key here. But I wanted to um, read this article. So hopefully you guys can share it maybe. We're doing good on time. I might not read the whole thing. I'll skip to some parts. You have the article, Stop Finding Your Identity in Christ? Maybe you can share it. If not, I'll just... There's some back here. Okay, he's going to pass them out. I found this fascinating, and I don't think it's just because I'm a nerd. I think it's actually fascinating. Um, This guy, he's a pastor of a good church, and he's one of the pastors at a good church. And I actually, I hardly read articles online. People send me stuff. I never read anything online, hardly. But the... the yeah, don't send me anything. I won't read it. That's not true. I will. Um, but, like, the title just, like, leaped off the page. I was like, stop finding your identity in Christ. Like, my whole life I've been told to find my identity in Christ. What is wrong with you? And uh, I read it. It was actually the most read article of the year on this website, America, which I'd never heard of, but I think it's solid. Um, I know Caleb Morell is solid, so, and it's good. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. On the hidden implications of an unbiblical phrase. And there is a point. This isn't just fun and interesting. There actually is a, we're going to get all the way around to why, why this makes sense to introspection. On the hidden implications of an unbiblical phrase, identity is everywhere. From identity crises to identity politics to sexual identity, the term is arguably enjoying unprecedented popularity. But identity is not just popular in secular circles. In fact, Christians are leading the way. In 2010, J-Mac, right? So this isn't like, J-Mac's not a heretic. Like he's a good, solid biblical scholar and pastor. He wrote, slave. The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ. 2013, Mark Driscoll published Who Do You Think You Are? Finding Your True Identity in Christ. In 2015, even T.D. Jakes got on the identity bandwagon. If you don't know those other two guys, don't go looking for them, okay? Um, Yeah. He wrote a book, Identity, Discover Who You Are and Live a Life of Purpose. If MacArthur, or if MacAttack, as I like to say, if MacAttack, Driscoll, and Jakes are all writing about it, it must be fine, right? 
The category of identity in Christ is so ubiquitous that it appears as the catch-all antidote to every Christian struggle. Do you struggle with sexual sin? Identity in Christ is a solution. Are you looking for satisfaction in a spouse? Find your identity in Christ, someone will tell you. Are you overly focused on people-pleasing? Your identity in Christ is the solution. And if you start paying attention, you'll notice that the Christian use of identity is almost always preceded by the verb finding. Many, if not most, baptismal testimonies I have heard in recent years involve some form of, I used to find my identity in X, Y, or Z. Now I find my identity in Christ. Maybe it is academic achievement, a career, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or athletic accomplishments. But whatever they mean, it's not, uh, is not much different from Lauren Daigle's recent hit song, You Say, where she tells God, in you I find my worth, in you I find my identity. Picking up your arresting discovery. But the student of history who searches the vast troves of Christian thought soon makes an arresting discovery. It turns out that the language of identity in Christ is not only foreign to the pages of Scripture, but also to nearly 2,000 years of Christian reflection. Searching the words identity in Christ in every published work since the Reformation, just notice that, every published work since the Protestant Reformation, it's like 1500s, let's just say, immediately reveals that such language is almost exclusively a phenomenon of the late 20th century. This is true whether you search in English or in German, which is uh, the dominant theological language in the, of the 19th century. Look at this chart. See that chart there, chart one at the top, where there's literally nothing? I mean, look at the percentages, by the way, 0. 0.00000000. Like, he's like examining every single book that's ever been written that we have access to online. And look at that. It's like, what, 1975, where it starts to pop up, and then around 2000, it just skyrockets, okay? You can search the, I'm just picking up in that paragraph there, you can search the corpus, of Christian thought, down from the ages, from Augustine to Calvin to Bavinck, without ever finding them using the phrase identity in Christ. We have no record of Spurgeon ever exhorting his hearers to find their identity in Christ. We never read of Luther sharing over dinner that he used to find his identity in being a monk, but now found it in Christ. As far as we can tell, John Owen never posited that the terminus of the Christian life was identity in Christ. But when you narrow your search to the second half of the 20th century, you find that the language of identity in Christ, which began in the 70s and 80s, quickly exploded in the 2000s. And that's that chart down below. Skip to under uh, chart number three, perhaps more tellingly. You can see that there? Perhaps more tellingly. The chart below indicates that the explosion of identity in Christ language clearly correlates with the growing popularity of identity in wider society in general. Next page, chart four. While it is beyond the scope of this article to speculate about the rise of identity in general, it is worth considering that the term identity crisis was only first recorded in 1953 in identity politics in 87. So where did the language of identity in Christ come from? And how did identity so rapidly infiltrate Christian parlance? And so he goes on, I'd encourage you, if you want to read the whole thing at home, it's, it's really worth it. He goes on and he's saying that basically it popped up in Christian literature because we're borrowing it from the psychological world secular psychology academies in those works. And so we just borrowed it, and with it, I think we're bringing a lot of baggage. So he goes on, uh, jump over to dangers of talking about identity in Christ. You guys see that? Dangers of identity, of talking about identity in Christ. One of the dangers of identity is to pit the body against the self. Like the Gnostics of old, Modern critical scholars like Simon de Beauvoir, however you say that French name, view of the body as some, something to be overcome through technology rather than something good and God-given to embrace. And so it pits the body 
against the self. In contrast, Christianity has always offered a middle ground between absolutizing the body and dismissing the body. On the one hand, Galatians 3 relativizes our this-worldly situatedness as less important than our union with Christ. You are all one in Christ. On the other hand, 1 Corinthians 7 teaches each person, to, uh, each person is assigned a particular place to live, a gender, and set of life circumstances to steward faithfully rather than flee. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Since identity tends to be used as a vacuous category, it places a premium on choice through the negation of other identities such as man, brother, father, and son. Thus, identity in Christ is often used to wrongly undermine legitimate biblical callings, such as gender and nationality. Scripture teaches that we are born into relationships of mutual obligation as sons, daughters, fathers, and mothers, regardless of our personal choices. I thought this was really good here. To insist, I'm not American because my identity is in Christ, ignores the boundary lines of geography and time that God has allotted for us, right? You can't say, oh, my identity is in Christ, therefore I'm not American. That's just not true, biblically. To say, I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I identify as a creative writer and thinker, downplays the legitimacy of motherhood as a divinely sanctioned vocation. If identity is chosen, what place is there for any other obligation than being faithful to yourself? Jump down to preaching a therapeutic gospel. The modern use of identity as dignity catechizes, that just means teaches, teaches us to seek recognition and see the self's worth of sense as the primary goal worth pursuing. He talks about Carl Truman's books. If you, there's a longer one, so if you want the academic one, it's that one, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. If you want the shorter one, which is also really good, it's Strange New World, and he unpacks a lot of this stuff, where it comes from, and how it seeped into Christianity. Jump down, because of time, subject, uh, subjectivi- uh, sub- subjectivizing faith. Sorry. Subjectivizing faith as feeling rather than objective reality, and this is really what we're getting at. To say that I now find my identity in Christ falls into the trap of reducing morality to feelings and emotions. Following McIntyre, Truman discusses how emotivism presents preferences as if they were truth claims. And this is really, really key, and this is why we're talking about this. But the Bible always talks about our position, to use a theological term, in objective rather than subjective terms. When Paul wants to emphasize who the Corinthians are, he tells them, you are not your own. Truth, fact, statement, okay? And because reality is given or assigned, it places obligations on us. You were bought with a price. So therefore, glorify God in your body. If identity carries with it so much baggage, what language should we use instead? Here's four suggestions. Recover the doctrine of union with Christ. This is so key. If, if you remember the biblical spirituality class I was talking about, we spent a couple weeks talking about this. Kevin DeYoung helpfully summarizes union with Christ. This is, maybe write this down or just underline it. As solidarity, believers are in Christ, whereas they were formerly in Adam. That's Romans 5, 12 to 21. We are in Christ rather than being in Adam. Transformation, we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and communion as we abide in Christ. So we should, rather than talk about identity, we should talk about our union with Christ. Solidarity, we are in Christ transformation, we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit continually, and communion as we abide in Christ. And so that relates more to our practical walk with the Lord. Talking about union with Christ rather than identity in Christ has several advantages. First, it's biblical. There you go. (laughs) Romans 6, 5 says that as we have been united with him in his death, so we will be united with him in his resurrection. 
Ephesians 5.32 teaches that Christ and his church are united by a mystical one flesh union of which marriage is a sign. In fact, the New Testament talks about our being in Christ over 160 times. Um, second, he says it's been tested historically and theologically. Just flip over the next page, chart five. Prevalence of union with Christ in published literature. This is sad, but also we need to examine it truthfully. You look at that spike there, you see that? 1600s to pretty much, like, let's just say it's dying out 1750s. It's the English Puritans. It's the English Puritans. They loved to talk about union with Christ because it's really defining our salvation. It's not anything we do. It's we are in him and he has done everything for us. And so you kind of see sadly that after um, essentially the Puritans lost the battle for England, um, it dies out. And even, look, even in year 2000, we're not talking about it very much. And so we need to honestly examine it. Yeah. How I would, yeah, yeah, we'll get to this. Um, what I would say, the problem with identity is that it's so subjective. It's just like, well, anyone can say, oh, okay, well, that's your identity. Well, my identity is I'm homosexual. That's just who I am. And what I want to say is with union with Christ, we're saying, I believe by faith that I am in Christ. That that's what the Bible teaches, and that is what's true. Does that make sense, kind of the difference between the two? So identity is so subjective, and it can just be molded to whatever your truth is. And so I'm just saying, as he does in this article, we shouldn't even talk, we don't need to talk about our identity in Christ. Because I think we're borrowing from the secular world, and I think it's causing too much damage. And I mean, especially if you're talking to an unbeliever, and they're saying, hey, my identity is X, Y, or Z, and you say, I'm in Christ. They're going to go, what in the world does that mean? And it's just, you go, gospel. You see what I'm saying? Um, so that's where, where I would go with that. And so picking back up here on the recovering the doctrine of union with Christ. Recovering the doctrine of union with Christ means first teaching that all people, regardless of age, gender, or country of origin, are most basically defined by being in Adam. Right? That's how the Bible defines it. This is true. This is what's reality, regardless of what you think your identity may be. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. You're in one or the other, inheriting his corruption and guilt, which we voluntarily ratify by our own disobedience. What distinguishes Christians most fundamentally from others is our being in Christ. And so he goes on. I just want to finish this real quick and we'll kind of wrap up because I'm already out of time. Recognize identity as idolatry. Simply put, the modern quest for identity cloaked as dignity, worth, or recognition, is idolatrous. And the idol behind identity is I. I want to be recognized. I want to feel worthy. I want to be treated with dignity. But like all counterfeit gods, this one too fails to satisfy. How many likes are enough? How much recognition does it take to satisfy? The self desperately needs to be uncloaked for the idol that it is. Second paragraph under Preach a Big God Theology. A big God theology starts with the creator-creature distinction and forces the self to reckon with the creator's absolute rights over his creation. This is key. The question is no longer, who do I want to be and how can I be fulfilled? But who is God and what do I owe him? Okay. 
And so hopefully that was maybe thought-provoking. I encourage you to read the whole thing. It's really, really good. I have to wrap up because I need to, so I'm going to move quickly. Here's what I'm trying to get at, is I think identity talks about an internally determined reality. And I put that in air quotes, because what's real is what God says is real. What's true is what God says is true, okay? Identity deals with this internally determined me. What's most important is what I say about myself, and that's subjective. Union with Christ deals with externally conferred status. What's most important is not what I say about myself. What's most important is what another says about myself, and that's objective. This is what God says is true, and that is what really matters. 1 John 5.20 says, we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. These are biblical statements of fact that as believers, we have to believe. We're not bound to completely, you know, listen to our feelings, right, or our emotions. There are often times where, you know, as what does Roxette say, listen to your heart? No, don't listen to your heart. Don't listen to 80s music. Oh, I'm sorry, um, listen to 80s music because it's good. But don't listen to your heart, okay? Don't do that. No, we need to listen and trust what God says. And so, again, I'm jumping ahead. We might come back to some of this stuff. I really believe a key part of introspection is the problem with identity, is that the reason why we introspect is because we're so consumed about I. We're so caught up in what I think. We're so concerned about what I say about myself, that internally determined reality. I just want to mention this in closing, Galatians 2.20. I'd read this. I mean, it's one of these verses where you, you've read, and so you read it again, and the Lord reveals new things, and we're so thankful for that. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Do you believe that? I think that that's what the verse is saying. Do you believe that? That's true. If you're a Christian, you have been crucified with Christ, regardless of what you may feel. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's true. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And that was that key. I was like, man, I never noticed that before. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice what Paul's saying. I don't live by my feelings on whether I feel crucified with Christ. Because there are going to be times in your life where you're not going to feel that. There are going to be times in your life where it doesn't feel like Christ who lives in me. But what is Paul doing? I'm not living by my feelings. I'm not living by my emotions. I'm living by what? Faith. And so at the end of the day, and this is where I wanted to start and where I wanted to end, is are we going to submit to God's word? When it comes to this self-examination and this problem of introspection, are we going to submit and say, hey, my feelings might be telling me this, my emotions might be telling me this, but I'm going to believe by faith that what God says about me is true and that's what matters. Does that make sense? And so that's where we're going. I wanted to close with this Spurgeon quote because you have to quote Spurgeon because he's so good. Some spend much of their time in what is called introspection. Now, introspection is a useful thing in measure. And here he's, again, it's important how you define your terms, but he's talking about self-examination, okay, right? Now, introspection or self-examination, it's a useful thing in measure, but it can readily be overdone. And then it breeds morbid emotions and creates despair. Some are always looking into their own feelings. A healthy man hardly knows whether he has a stomach or a liver. It's your sickly man who grows more sickly by the study of his inward complaints. Too many wound themselves by studying themselves. Every morning they think of what they should feel. All day long they dwell upon what they're not feeling. And at night they make diligent search for what they have been feeling. Forget yourself and think only of Christ. It's so good. It's so good. That's really what we need to do. And so we're going to unpack that in the weeks to come. Hopefully that whets your appetite. And uh, we'll see where we go. Let me close in prayer. And if you have any questions, please come, come talk to me afterwards. 
Lord, thank you so much. Lord, I just pray that as we begin this study over the next eight weeks, that um, we would submit to your word, that we would not listen to ourselves, where so often we can lead ourselves astray, we can confuse ourselves, we can lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would submit that we need to listen to what you have said. We need to trust your word. Lord, help us by faith to believe that what you say is true. Lord, I pray that we would not look to ourselves, but that we would look to Christ. That as we look to you, we would realize that there is joy in not looking at the self. That there is joy to be found in gazing freely at the glory of Christ as revealed in Scripture. We ask that you would bless the study and bless the rest of this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. See you next week.